right. Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Brigitte Gabrielle, head of the Act for America, which is a national security grassroots organization with over a million members, join us to discuss Living Under Islamism, a personal tale of survival. Ms. Gabriel will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Ms. Brigitte Gabriel. Hello. Hello, I am delighted to be with you today. It is such an honor uh, to be uh, on the Middle East Forum webinar. Uh, many of you know me and have heard my story, but for those of you who have not, uh, I would love to share with you my experience growing up in Lebanon, moving to Israel, and later coming to the United States. I was born and raised in what used to be Paris of the Middle East, the banking capital of the Middle East. Um, in Lebanon, Lebanon, uh, we were uh, fair-minded, we were open-minded, fair, tolerant society. We had open borders. We welcomed everyone into our country, uh, especially those uh, who wanted to come and study in our universities. We had built the best universities in the Middle East. Um, those who graduated stayed and worked in our economy because we had built the best economy in the Middle East. Um, and that was the Lebanon I grew up in. Uh, I'm an only child to a Lebanese businessman. So I was raised in the privilege uh, and lab of uh, a successful uh, life, a businessman who provided for me, um, and life was fantastic. All that began to change as we started bringing in Palestinian refugees into the country. Uh, Lebanon actually was the only country to accept the third wave of Palestinian refugees, while none of the Arabic countries wanted to accept them. Lebanon welcomed them in because we, as at that time, a majority Christian society, um, we welcome them with open arms because um, that's the type of society we are. Uh, those who started to say that they want to transform our society and that they wanted to use our society and take it over, we didn't believe them uh, because we refused to read the writing on the wall. What happened was Yasser Arafat and his crew and his we welcomed into Lebanon. Uh, and the Palestinian refugees wanted to use Lebanon and our democracy uh, to basically use it as a launching pad attacking Israel to destroy the Jews and uh, Israel using our democracy to do that. My 9-11 happened to me in 1975 when radical Islamists blew up my home, burning it down, burying me under the rubber wounded. I ended up in a hospital for two and a half months. And as I laid in a hospital room, hooked up to IVs in both arms, I would ask my father, why did they do this to us? And my father would tell me, because they consider us infidels and they hate us. They want to kill us. So I learned since I was a 10-year-old little girl that I am wanted dead simply because I was born into the Christian faith and lived in a Christian town. I ended up leaving the hospital and coming back home, but my home was no longer the home I left. I ended up living in a bomb shelter underground in an eight by 10 room without electricity, without water, and very little food. 
And that's where I lived for the next seven years of my life, raw of my youth. To get some food, we would crawl out under the bombs because we were surrounded by Palestinians who were majority Muslims, raining bombs on us. Uh, we would get out of our bomb shelter and we would crawl under the bombs, trying to dig out dandelions and different greenery that grew around our bomb shelter because it was the only salads we had to eat. Um, to get some water, we would crawl under snipers' bullets because we were surrounded by Islamic snipers. Um, trying to get to the nearby spring to get some water. Um, and every time before we left our bomb shelter, we would say our last goodbyes because we did not know if we are going to come back alive or dead just to get a drink of water. And what a contrast this, uh, my new life compared to the life I lived before the war, um, having a chauffeur to drive me to school, having maids in our home, my father being very successful, to living in the most inhumane conditions in the bomb shelter, no electricity, no heat, um, no bathroom. Uh, this is the things that people don't think about when they watch images of war and people suffering in the war um, without the comfort of living a dignified uh, life as you are hiding, trying to survive. I remember when we went into our bomb shelter, my father would say, oh, it's only going to be two, three weeks before the world will wake up and see what's happening to the Christians of Lebanon. And we waited and we waited and we waited and nobody came. My father would say, America's going to come. Canada's going to come. Australia's going to come. Uh, France is going to come. And nobody came. And then the world forgot about us. Just like Ukraine, you watch the images of the war in Ukraine. I remember when the war started, you watch the images night after night after night, you couldn't get enough news from Ukraine. And after a while, you don't really hear about the Ukraine much. Whatever happened to the people who are suffering now under the rubble rule, whose life has changed, uh, you don't hear much about those. In my case, after three years of war, the world forgot about us. The bomb shelter became our new life. I remember at the age of 13 years old, one of our Christian militia friends stopped by and he said, I just want you to know that we heard a lot of chatter on the radio and believe we're gonna be attacked tonight. And I remember he said to me, he said, if I don't see you tomorrow, I wish you a merciful death. And he left. And I remember dressing in my Sunday best, my Easter dress, because I wanted to look pretty when I am dead, knowing that when they come to slaughter me, there would be no one to bury me. And I remember my mother combing my long black hair down to my hips and tying a white ribbon in my hair that matched the daisies and my blue dress as I sobbed, begging her, I don't want to die. I'm only 13 years old. And there was nothing my mother could say to me. And I remember sitting in the corner of our bomb shelter and my parents started praying and my father started, opened up the Bible and started reading from Psalm. I shall walk in the valley of death and fear no evil for thou art with me. And my parents said to me, you live a long life. You are an only child. You are a young child. When they come to slaughter us tonight, we will create a distraction. And we just want you to run towards Israel and don't look back. You see, I lived five kilometers from the Israeli border in the town of Marjayun. 
And we knew if we go to the Jews and beg for help, the Jews are not going to slaughter us because we have more shared values with them than we have with the Muslims. Thank God I didn't have to make that decision that night because Israel came in physically into Lebanon and established the security zone and set up artillery bases on the hills surrounding our town to protect us from the Islamists and Palestinians who were trying to kill us. And that's how we lived for another five years in that bomb shelter, trying to survive. And I remember by 1982, when Israel invaded Lebanon, at that time, Israel was working with the Christians, trying to help the Christians take back their democracy and, and, and take back their country. And a lot of Christians actually, in, in the five years during the war, would go to Israel and get trained. Uh, Israel, they would go by boat into Israel. Israel would train them how to fight, and they would bring them back to Lebanon. Because you see, the Lebanese Christians were the educated ones. We were not the street kids. And we learned very quickly during the war that you can have all the degrees behind you on the wall. You can have your law degree, your accounting degree, your, your medical degree, whatever professional degree you have. None of that will do you any good when you are faced with an enemy trying to slaughter you. And so Israel started working with the Christians. And by 1982, um, Syria was shelling Israel from Lebanon, using Lebanese territories, calling it the, the Lebanese resistance. And they were shelling all the northern town of Israel, all the way to its spot. And so Israel decided to invade Lebanon and drive away all the Palestinians and the Arafat and his Kunis all the way to Tunisia. And that's how we came out of the bomb shelter and back to rebuilding our lives. I remember during that war, Muhammad Ali, uh, my mother was wounded in the second day of the war. And we had to take her to Israel for treatment. For my mother, it was a life-saving experience. But for me, it was a life-changing experience. We put my mother, I took my mother to the local hospital, which was a bound out shell of a hospital. And there was one room that was fixed by Israel where we had an Israeli doctor on duty and two Israeli nurses to help her to give first aid to people who were wounded in Lebanon. And then they put her in an ambulance an Israeli donated ambulance and we drove to the border to Israel because Israel was our only lifeline. Anybody who needed any treatment went to Israel. And I remember the 10 minute drive as we raced to the border. We got to the border and the Lebanese driver walked around the ambulance and he said, Do you have any money for the fee for the ambulance? And before we left our bomb shelter, my father had handed me 60 liras and he said, if you, just in case they take your mother to Israel and you need any money. So like an innocent teenager, I pull all the money out of my pocket and I hand it to the driver and I said, how much do I owe you? And he looked at my money and he said, give me 30, which, have, which was half the money I had. I thanked him for his service. They loaded my mother into another Israeli ambulance in Matula and they drove her to a spot, which was the nearest hospital uh, that could take care of my mother's injury. And I remember the ride to the hospital as I was seeing um, armored vehicles lined up on both sides of the streets all the way to the spot for an hour as Israel was getting ready to continue going into Lebanon and deep into Lebanon. I remember getting to the hospital and they took my mother out of the ambulance into the emergency room. 
And I remember walking around the ambulance to give the Israeli driver the fee for the ambulance. And thinking to myself, my gosh, if the 10 minute ride cost me $30 uh, or 30 liras, how much is that hour ride is gonna cost me? I'm not sure I'm gonna have enough money. And I handed him the all the money that I had and I said, how much do I owe you? And he looked at my money and he said, what is this for? And I said, it's for the ambulance fee. And he said, oh no, this is a free service from us to you. You keep your money. And uh, I wish your mother a speedy recovery. And I was so touched because I thought to myself, because that's when I realized that the Lebanese driver who actually knew my parents basically robbed me. Yet this Israeli driver who didn't know me from Adam could have taken my money and partied all night. Yet he did not do that. That was my first lesson in the difference between the Arabic culture and the Israeli culture. We went into the Israeli hospital, into the emergency room, and there were hundreds of people wounded on the floor. Palestinians brought in from Lebanon, Lebanese Christians brought in from Lebanon, Muslims brought in from Lebanon, Israeli soldiers who were wounded in the war. The doctors treated everyone according to their injury. They did not see religion. They did not see political affiliation. They did not see nationality. They saw people in need and they helped. The doctor treated my mother before he treated the Israeli soldier laying next to her because her injury was more severe. I couldn't believe my eyes. I thought to myself, I can understand why they are helping my mother, but why on earth are they treating the Palestinians and the terrorists who would slit their throat in a second if they had a chance to? Little did I know about the values of the Israeli people. They took my mother into the uh, fourth floor where they uh, put her in another room with two other ladies brought in from Lebanon that morning. And we were not in the room, but maybe five minutes. And I remember um, everybody was rushing through our room out to the balcony to see what was happening because there was all this commotion outside our balcony. And I walk out to the balcony and two Israeli helicopters had just landed bringing in Israeli soldiers from Lebanon. And as I stood on that balcony, looking down, watching these Israeli soldiers being taken in on stretchers into the emergency room, I felt sick to my stomach. I felt out of place. I felt embarrassed after all these people are wounded because of the war with my country. I didn't make eye contact with anyone standing next to me because I didn't know how they're going to feel about me. And all of a sudden, I felt the stabbing on my shoulder. And I looked to the side and there was an Israeli nurse standing next to me and she said to me, hello, you, you look like you are new here. And I said, yes, they just brought in my mother this morning. And she said, my name is Leah. If you need anything, just call my name. Everything is going to be okay. We're going to take care of your mother. And I started crying. I was so touched because I could not, for the first time in my life, I experienced such a human quality, such compassion and love that I knew for fact did not exist in my society. I spent 22 days in that hospital. 22 days changed my life, made me realize that these are the values I want to adopt. These are the, the, the characters I want to have. And I vowed that I, one day I will return to Israel and live amongst these people. I had to go back to Lebanon to take care of my parents because I'm an only child. But in 1984, I ended up moving to Israel and becoming news and the world news based in Jerusalem in Binyanei Ha'uma. Many of you probably have been there. 
and from Israel, I came to the United States. Um, and I forgot about the radicals. I thought I left all the crazies behind. I'm in America to build a new life. Uh, I started a television production company. My clients were Oprah, Dr. Phil, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, um, built a successful television production company and thought the crazies were behind. 9-11 changed all that for me. It made me realize that the crazies I thought I left behind are now worldwide and they have attacked the United States. That's what drove me to start Act for America and build it to become the largest national security grassroots organization in the United States with 1.7 million members. And we have passed 138 bills on the federal level and the state level to protect the country. Our major concern right now are the Iranians and the terrorists who are coming through the border because Hezbollah has a command center in the tri-states in South America, and they are preparing their members, they are working with the drug cartels, and they are sneaking their members into the United States. The major concern right now is Hezbollah working with the drug cartels, sharing with them tunnel building technology, which Hezbollah perfected in Lebanon, between Lebanon and Israel. And right now, the tunnels that are being built between Mexico and the United States are built with the supervision of Hezbollah and uh, to smuggle either terrorists or drugs into the United States. Um, when you hear on television, pundits uh, talking about the OTM coming into the United States through the Mexican border, they are referring to other than Mexicans, and that includes all the terrorists who are coming through the border right now, which includes Iranians, Afghanis, Iraqis, Syrians, Lebanese, um, important point to note here, there's a Lebanese embassy, there's a Lebanese employee at the Mexican embassy in Lebanon selling visas to Mexico for $3,000 a visa. So if you are a Lebanese and you want to come to the United States, and obviously you're not going to get a visa to America, especially if you have links to Hezbollah, all you have to do is buy a visa to Mexico, and then you can waltz your way to the United States. We are now working on legislation in Congress to secure our border and take care of the, uh, at least um, try to stop the hemorrhaging or the terrorists are coming through the border. Um, that's a major issue of concern, uh, as well as Hezbollah teaching the drug cartels IED technology. The first IED was detonated in August near El Paso, Texas. Um, uh, and we know that that is the first time in North America where IED uh, which is Hezbollah technology, which was tested in Afghanistan and Iraq against our troops, is now being shared with the drug cartels. So uh, we have radicals coming to America. This is, should be a concern to everybody who is concerned about our safety and security. Um, and now I open it for questions. I hope I did not go over my time. All right. Thank you so much. What a great message uh, from David El Sabine. He says, hello from Hope Sound, Florida. It's been six years. What happened to the Christian militiamen who fought in that 1980s war? Uh, it's very sad. Uh, a lot of them have been arrested and thrown in jail. Uh, a lot have fled to Israel and from Israel went to other countries. Uh, those who are still in Israel, um, very sadly, uh, were uh, under Abu Barak, he did not treat them well. 
so they were stuck in Israel. They couldn't go back to Lebanon. Yet in Israel, they treated them just like anybody who just made Aliyah to Israel. Uh, but people who make Aliyah to Israel usually prepare and they say, okay, we're going to sell this, we're going to sell our home, we're going to move our money, we're going to move our banks. And they have ways to start a new life. They have support. Uh, Lebanese community in Israel, the Israeli, the young Israelis look at them as Arabs. And obviously, they are not. They're Lebanese Christians. And the Arabs in Israel hate them and look at them as enemy traitors because they are operatives of Israel. So uh, the first generation who went there um, suffered very much, and they are still suffering. Their children have adjusted to Israel. Uh, those who chose to go back to Lebanon, a lot of them chose to go back to Lebanon and get up thrown in Israeli uh, in Lebanese jails and tortured. Uh, some died. Some are back out with their families. Thank you. And a follow-up to that. At the time that you were speaking of earlier, uh, how many Christian Lebanese were there versus now? Oh, my goodness. Uh, when Lebanon got its independence, uh, Christians were 67% of the society. Uh, but as the time, as the years went by, and it didn't take many years, uh, obviously Muslims have many more children than we do. You know, they, they, they are allowed to marry up to four wives at a time. Uh, a lot of them do. They have a lot of children. So while we Christians have, you know, two, three children, maybe four, you know, from when our kids are born, we start thinking about what education we're going to give them, what colleges we're going to send them to, what schools we're going to send them to. Uh, the Muslims, on the other hand, can have 10 kids, and even if they educate three out of the 10, they still have seven field workers. And it's a numbers game. So within 20, 30 years, the population shifted in a major way. The Christians in Lebanon today are actually around 13 to 14% only. Uh, a lot of them fled, and that's exactly why the Lebanese Christians are refusing to enforce the census in Lebanon right now, because the Lebanese government we are a republic, exactly like the United States of America. We are a representative government, very different than any of the Arabic countries surrounding us. So the Lebanese Christians now are refusing uh, to let the census or people to take the census because they do not want to lose control. And that's how we are. They are maintaining control of the country right now. But right now, the estimates are 15%. Thank you. That's quite startling. Uh, Hume. Mame uh, asked, are any of the three countries in the Hezbollah tri-border South American mini country acting against them in any way? Uh, no, not really, because Hezbollah is pumping a lot of money. Hezbollah is funded by Iran. They are pumping a lot of dollars. Uh, they are working with the drug cartels. We know that these countries are lawless countries. They are very corrupt countries. Uh, that's why we have the drug problems in these countries. And so um, now they are not really doing much to stop them. Uh, Hezbollah has a very sophisticated operation uh, in South America, and that should be a huge concern to any American watching right now what's happening at the border. We obviously care about people and we obviously want to help people, um, but what's happening at the border right now is atrocious, and we are going to live to regret um, allowing it to get to this point. Absolutely. And in our description, we wrote for this, uh, we talked about uh, is Islamism even a priority now in this great age of power threats from Russia and China? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's not the threat that it used to be. Um, obviously, when I started Act for America after 9-11, uh, radical Islamic terrorism was our main issue. This is what 
a lot of people wonder what they hear me or they think of me or they think of Act for America. That's why we started. Uh, here we are 20 years later. This is actually our 20th anniversary for Act for America. When we started, radical Islamic terrorism was the only threat to the United States. Antifa did not exist. All the radical elements of socialist, Marxist, communists right now who are causing mayhem in our country did not exist. Iran was not developing nuclear, uh, nuclear uh, uh, weapons. China wasn't the power that it is today. Remember 20 years ago, we used to talk about the starving kids in China. You know, I used to tell my kids, make sure you eat all your dinner. There are starving kids in China. Today, that's no longer the case. So today, as my organization evolved, we focus on many other threats to our nation, China, Iran, Russia, missile defense, uh, many other issues. These are uh, a lot of the bills that we are passing right now. Um, and I encourage people to go to actforamerica.org and check us out and check all the bills that we are working on in our action center. We have an Act Now uh, center where you can take action on the federal bills on the federal level and the state level. And right now, Russia and China uh, uh, pose the, the, the major threat, as well as the foreign money that's operating and funding the Antifa movement in the United States and throughout the West. Uh, right now, our threat is from the inside, not from the outside. All the Islamists have to, to do is sit back and wait. As a matter of fact, when you look at the Islamic lobby in the United States, the Council on American Islamic Relations, CARE, their major uh, defenders, are major Jewish organizations, ACLU, Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, the ACLU attorney, the ACLU is practically the legal arm of CARE, which is the front of Hamas in the United States. So right now our threat is our enemies coming together, the, the leftist radicals and the Islamists working together uh, to transform the US. Um, and that should be a major concern. The Islamists don't need to defeat us militarily. They do not need to apply terrorism. Uh, they are doing it in a much more sophisticated way. Absolutely. And do you think, in your opinion, that our politicians are aware of this threat and are acting on it? Uh, our politicians uh, do not care about this threat. Our politicians have been bought and sold with money. Uh, everybody is for their own interest, with the exception of the few who speak up so loudly that nobody is listening to them. Uh, our society has changed so much, especially in the last uh, two years, uh, where we have seen the Islamic presence uh, on Capitol Hill. I mean, look, look at Ilhan Omar, look at Rashida Tlaib. Um, if you think you're concerned only about two in Congress, uh, give America another 10 years and you'll see the transformation. Um, and um, it, it, is, it is very concerning. And um, that's why we try everything we can to make sure uh, we lobby our elected officials, we speak to our elected officials, we educate elected officials. Uh, this is something me and my organization of 1.7 million members um, with 400,000 activists nationwide in every single state try to do in building relationships with elected officials, educating them, mobilizing them, um, you know, and, and, and trying to take action when we can. Uh, especially when we have an administration that is pro-Israel and pro-national defense. Not now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so Mark Bronston asks, uh, is the Democratic Party a danger to the U.S.? Or are you also educating uh, those, those politicians as well? Are they receptive? Oh, we are educating everybody who is willing to listen. Unfortunately, nowadays, there are a lot of people uh, who are not willing to listen. You know, it's one of those things, you know, don't confuse me. I already made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the fact. 
And this is something Israel has faced for years. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, you can talk all about the legal right for Israel to exist as a Jewish nation. You can sign UN resolution article, you know, uh, one and two, and they don't listen. What they are listening to is the propaganda, the lies. They say you repeat a lie and nothing it becomes true. I think, you know, when we watch the Palestinian propaganda and how the Palestinians have been able to rewrite history while Israel failed in the PR um, uh, uh, um, message, when we look today at those who are pro-national defense, who are pro-national security, who are pro-Israel, who are speaking on these issues, I mean, the fact that I just shared with you about the terrorists coming through the border, that we don't even call them Terrorists, we call them OTM, other than Mexicans. So it sounds so peaceful and wonderful and diverse. And you know, anybody who is listening, watching CNN, listening to the OTMs, they don't even have an idea what we're talking about. Yet people like us who are informed, and I know your audience is very informed, know that we're talking about terrorists coming through the border. Um, the we're trying to educate the Democratic Party as, as much as we can, but unfortunately, they're not listening. So right now we are working as hard as we can, reaching out to anyone who is willing to listen. As a matter of fact, I would like to do a follow-up to that. Uh, tomorrow, I go up to Washington, D.C. for a week uh, because I'm a part of a national media blitz on Wednesday and Thursday. The top 100 top radio shows in the nation are descending on Washington, D.C. for a media blitz titled, Hold Their Feet to the Fire. And uh, subject matter experts like myself, Tom Holman, um, many experts, elected officials, congressmen, senators, uh, literally we go from booth to booth, uh, all day Wednesday and all day Thursday. I have 42 media interviews booked Wednesday and Thursday in two days, 48 hours. And all we're talking about is the border, the invasion at the border, the threat to national security from the border, the terrorists coming into the United States through the border, so if you are listening to talk radio on all the top 100 talk radio nationwide, um, you're going to be hearing a lot from me in, on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Wonderful. I wish you the best in that. Again, for our audience, I posted the website in our chat. Uh, but if you would like to say it again, where we can find some more of your information, that'd be fantastic. Uh, thank you. I encourage everyone to go to actforamerica.org and check us out and share our messages with anyone you know, sign up to receive our emails and action alerts. We monitor bills coming down for a vote uh, and we notify our members in their states, uh, whether it's a state bill, whether it's a national bill, to make sure that America is secure, that we stand with our allies. National defense is very important to us, especially someone like me who survived terrorism um, and came to the United States. And please share our information with your friends at toramerica.org. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Ms. Gabriel, for joining us today. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. For our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.